You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the M21 Crash Course here on Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, ready to talk some M21, and by talk, I mean argue, is Ethan Sachs. What's up, buddy? Uh, not too much, dude. I am, I'm here. I'm ready. I did my full set review with Alex on, uh, on Thursday, and I'm, I'm prepared to defend my stance on some cards and, and certainly be told why I'm wrong on some others. Yeah, let's get into it, baby. All right, so uh, before we dive into all things Crash Course material, just real quick, got to get some housekeeping out of the way. Talk about our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. Uh, and I got to say, I mean, we say this every time a new set comes out, but this is the time to get in on the Patreon because you get access to the Discord, and that's where people are breaking this format wide open in the early days of the format. So if you want to get in on that, if you want to figure out what's the best deck, what are the best archetypes, all that good stuff, get feedback on all of your draft logs, deck picks, any and all that stuff. The Discord is the best 24-7 tech support for Limited on the internet, in my opinion. Um, And there's also some other perks higher up the rankings there. All of that's available on our Patreon page, and we want to make sure that we shout out each and every new patron the first week that they join. This week, we're welcoming Isaac, Zach, Chris, Cody Race, Matt, Max, Cavi, Nathan, Gian, Carl, Ken, Kyle, and Matt, Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. The first two weeks of a new format in the Discord, I think, is my favorite time in the Discord. It just feels like being part of this giant team of people that want to break the format open. And it's really exciting getting to share your contributions and also hear what other people have to say as well that you might have missed. Yeah, absolutely. So if you haven't ever joined us for the early part of a format for the Crash Course, we do things a little differently here on the show. We're not going to be doing a an entire card by card set review. The way we do things is we try and break things down as big picture as possible, uh, looking at creatures versus removal, looking at uh, archetype support. Uh, then we'll go through our grading spreadsheet, which will be shared where you download the show. But Ben and I have graded the cards separately, um, but all of our grades for those cards are in the spreadsheet. And then we're going to go through and look at the cards where we had a two gradation or more difference and sort of break down why that was and see if we can convince the other person to to come to our side. And then we'll round things out at the end of the episode by ranking our top three commons and top two uncommons in each color. All right, Ben, any new mechanics here? No new mechanics. This is corset. So we're only dealing with evergreen mechanics. There are, however, some like old keyword type abilities that they hint at but just don't put the keyword on but not not dealing with anything new cards are going to do what they say they do yeah the only thing that's let's quote unquote new but it's really just a way to codify something that people had already done is to officially make mill a keyword um so that means you know when people put cards from their library into their graveyard hearkening back to the card millstone i think the community at large have been calling it mill for quite a while and they just sort of decided that they jump on board as well so we've got that but yeah a bunch of evergreen mechanics as well so that's going to bring us to the stats portion of the episode baby so we're going to look at uh average creature cmc versus average removal cmc we just started switching this up from our last crash course we we had been doing a lot more other stats that maybe weren't as helpful but i do think looking at creatures versus removal is pretty helpful and we've got a nice round number to deal with basically there's 101 creatures total and one of those is a is an x creature a creature with x and its casting cost so basically whenever we say an amount of creatures you can think of that as also the percentage of creatures that exist at common or uncommon in the set so let's start us off here with our first little bit of uh, statistics here ben yes we're starting off with the average converted mana cost of creatures and how that compares to the average converted mana cost of removal so the average creature cmc is 3.32 which is pretty high 
compared to what we've seen in the past few sets. And the average removal spell cost is 3.36, which is really expensive compared to the removal we were used to seeing in Ikoria. There is not a lot of removal, and it is pretty expensive on average. Yeah, we'll talk about the removal in just a second at large, but there's way less than there was in Ikoria, and it's barring a few pretty efficient spells. They're, they're all kind of clunky-ish, I would say. So going up the ranks of toughness, so what percentage or number of creatures does a specific removal spell kill? We'll start with one toughness creatures. Uh, there are 17 total creatures with toughness one at common or uncommon. And so then looking at things that sort of punish that, so one one bodies that are two for ones are going to punish X ones. So thinking about Sky Scanner, which is a three mana one one flyer that ETBs and draws a card, or Fierce Empath, which is two in a green for a 1-1 that ETBs and pulls a six CMC or greater creature card from your library and puts it into your hand. Those sorts of things punish X1s. And then we've actually got like just some straight up X1 hate in Skeleton Archer as three and a black ETB 3-3 three, three that deals a damage to any target when it comes into play. And then Goblin Arsonist is a 1-1 one, one that dies and deals a damage to something. Um, so there is a little bit, but we're not looking at like, you know, a sort of blazing volley type effects that exist in uh, in this format. Right. That's a moderate amount of ways to punish X1s compared to formats where you and I have been really off them at the beginning. I think it's going to be okay here. Not great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, a lot of the two drops in the format, and I think this is going to be something we keep coming back to, are not very good in the format. And I think there's a lot of X1s in the two drops. So I think you're just going to have to be playing X1s in the two drop slot. I think so. And so that may, that may be a clue to bump up those specific cards that seem, and maybe others that we're, we're missing that that seem to punish those kinds of creatures. So if we take a look at X2 creatures, um, Shock is going to be targeting these creatures as a removal spell. So there are 31 creatures at X2 that Shock is going to target, and then a total of 48 creatures between the X1s and the X2s. So 48% of creatures Shock is going to kill, which is a good number. There's a lot of premium X2s also that Shock's going to target. I think Shock's going to be a good removal spell in the format. Which is kind of crazy because I don't even think it's the best red removal spell because it also gets Scorching Dragonfire up next, which is back from Throne of Eldraine. Uh, so this is going to be dealing damage to X3s, which is uh, 30 creatures have three toughness. And that brings us to 78 total. So 78% of creatures Scorching Dragonfire can target. That means Scorching Dragonfire is literally fire in the format. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Moving on to the X4s, we've got Grasp of Darkness. This is black, black, instant. Target creature gets minus four, minus four until end of turn. There are nine creatures at X4, and that brings us up to 87% of the creatures in the format that Grasp of Darkness is going to kill, which also means this, uh, to to the surprise of no one, this used to be uncommon or was common and maybe got shifted to uncommon, but this this removal spell is premium and it is great to see it back at common. Yeah, and then moving up to five toughness, looking at Turn to Slag, which is a five mana removal spell at common for red that deals five to a creature, and then also Soul Seer, which is a three mana uncommon that deals five to a creature. That there's only six creatures with five toughness. So that brings us up to 93 creatures total, and that's 93% of creatures. So basically everything in the set, those cards are going to kill. Except for Colossal Dreadmaw, baby. That's right. And if we're talking about, uh, there's, a, there's a removal spell called Eliminate that cares about killing something with CMC three or less. That's going to hit 61% of the creatures in the format. So going to be slightly worse than Scorching Dragonfire. So worth noting that if you're 
facing a pack one pick one between scorching dragon fire and eliminate theoretically scorching dragon fire is going to be a better card yeah and and between grasp of darkness and eliminate since they're both black grasp of darkness is going to hit a significantly higher portion of the commons and uncommons in the set yeah that's all very good useful information to know i think yeah i, I think so too so if we take a look just to dive a little more deeply into the removal stats there are 15 common and uncommon removal spells in total in comparison to 23 in icoria so there, and I have felt this, I've done a few practice drafts um, just on my stream on uh, the pod drafts, like with seven other people from chat and removal is kind of hard to come by. There's, there's not a lot of it and there's not a lot of good removal um, has been something I've been really feeling in the first four or five drafts I've done so far. Um, and again, it's expensive. We've got an average removal spell cost of 3.36 uh, in comparison to 2.7 in Ikoria. So the, the removal in M21 is going to be more expensive than we're used to paying for it, and there's not going to be as much of it. And so one of the things I think that we can maybe, maybe take away from that is the last time we saw this, right, was when you and I first started the podcast in Ixalan, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think a defining feature of that format that we're lacking here is that Ixalan had a lot of good two drops and a lot of good threats, but worth keeping an eye on that maybe some of the more expensive removal might not be as good as it seems. Yeah, I think that's a really good takeaway. We've got the breakdown between common and uncommon. There's 10 removal spells at common here, five at uncommon in comparison to 13 and 10 in IKO. So obviously, you know, more in the, the last set that we just played. And just as far as a few noteworthy things about removal, it's concentrated in red, black and white. 12 of the 15 removal spells are red, black and white. So as far as compiling these stats, things that we didn't count, counterspells and plummet effects, there's quite a bit of counterspells in blue uh, of various levels of hardness or softness as far <laughs> as like conditions to meet. Yeah. Um, but stuff like lofty denial, cancel, rewind, two blue blue at uncommon uh, that lets you counter a spell and then untap four lands. And as far as a plummet effect, there's run afoul, which is single green instant target opponent sacrifices a creature with flying they control. And we also didn't count artifact or enchant removal like return to nature, which is back in this set. So lots to digest there in the removal section. So that's going to bring us to archetype slash synergy support. Now, the the 10 gold uncommons that exist, I think, are really good signposts for what these decks look like they're trying to do. Um, and I think we're going to talk about just about all 10 of these um, in terms of of what the the archetype is and and how much support there seems to be at common or uncommon so first up is black white life gain so looking at all the things that can gain life there are five creatures with lifelink and one trick that grants lifelink until end of turn man it really made me miss lifelink counters i was like i only get it until end of turn what is this <laughs> yeah there are 10 ways Otherwise, to gain life, though, and this card is going to come up maybe more than than it should. Life goes on is a, a card that's basically unplayable. It's single green, gain four life. Except if a creature died, you gain eight life instead. Like, but so that is a way to gain life, but it is not one of the ones that you should be looking for. Um, the repeatable ways here, we've got. Uh, Witch's Cauldron, which is a, a sack outlet that gains you a life when you sack a creature. Sanctum of Stonefangs, which is the, the cycle of shrines. Uh, Tavern Swindler is back. This is a two mana 2-2 two -two that I think is actually going to be kind of good. Two mana 2-2, two -two, you flip a, you pay three life to flip a coin, and if you win the flip, you gain six life. Um, so, you know, sort of evens out over the course of a game of a course of a, a number of flips, but can spike you some life there at a time. And Gloom Sower, which is uh, the, the big bad seven mana, eight, six creature at common. When it becomes blocked by a creature, that creature's controller loses two life and you gain two life. Now, the, the important thing here about the life gain payoffs is that the key is gaining three life in a turn. So we look at the things that care about gaining three life, 
We've got Griffin Airy, which uh, we're going to talk about in just a little bit, or we can talk about now. Two mana enchantment at the beginning of your end step. If you gained three or more life this turn, you create a 2-2 white Griffin creature token with flying. Uh, Indulging Patrician, which is the the signpost card here, one white black for a 1-4 flyer with lifelink. And then at the beginning of your end step, if you gained three or more life this turn, each opponent loses three life. And then Silver Smoke Ghoul is a card that uh, you can return from your graveyard to the battlefield. It's a a three mana three one, but only if you gained three life this turn. So what do you think about all that, Ben? I think it sounds good to me. I think already aggression is going to struggle a little bit in the format because of the lack of two drops. I mean, I think there are going to be aggro decks. I think there's a very good blue red aggro tempo deck that you can build. Don't don't tell people about blue red. (laughs) Then we don't get to draft it. I know it's going to be the worst. (laughs) Um, But I do think, you know, this is going to even slow down the format more, right? You know, the fact that this exists as a deck, um, really going to be tough for aggro to punch through a black-white life gain deck. Uh, the the payoffs are, I think, ultimately, it's going to depend on how good Griffin Airy is, like for how this archetype really hums and how easy it is to gain three life in a turn, right? That's a big question that I have. There's a lot of ways to piece together three life, but not a lot of ways to gain three life in one fell swoop. That's what makes me skeptical about the card specifically like Griffin Airy, you know, revitalizes back. I think that's a big key to this deck that's a one and a white instant game three life draw card and that feels like it's going to really fuel this deck i just don't know you know if you draw that in your opener but you don't have your griffin area are you supposed to hold on to your cantrip or fire it off to dig to your griffin area but now you don't have your sources of gaining three life like i i feel like cobbling together three life a turn is going to be tough to reliably turn on that card so i've got my eye on curving anointed chorister the white one one life length that you can pay four and a white to give it plus three plus three until end of turn into griffin area into putting a dub on your anointed chorister to give it plus two plus two and first strike that's a nice even three life a turn that's really difficult to block ben the dreamer wernie over here i love it what's our next archetype we got red green four power matters i have tried to draft this once already last night it felt kind of clunky um but i also think it wasn't the most open in my seat so as far as payoffs there's six total payoffs two of them are card draw enchantments one of them is furious rise that we've already seen uh, that lets you exile a card on your end step and play it until the next card gets exiled with furious rise as long as you control a creature for power or greater there's a similar green card called garrick's uprising uh, that gives your creatures trample and triggers when you have a four power creature and or when you play a four power creature. I think Garrick's Uprising is slightly better than Furious Rise, but it was a little awkward that both of those were in the deck. Like I ended up with one of the green enchantment and three Furious Rises. So Whoa, I mean, that seems like overload. Yeah, it's too many. Like you, yeah. you didn't need that much. Um, three creatures that give you sort of minor benefits and then the red green gold card, which is Leafkin Avenger. This is two red green for a four three and it taps to add a green mana for each creature you control with power four or greater and has a mana sink seven red as many times as you've got mana to pay for it. <laughs> Leafkin Avenger deals damage equal to its power to target player or planeswalker. You like how I'm dreaming big there? Maybe we'll yeah, activate I, yeah, this twice six, in a turn. I mean, it's possible. It's mostly so that you can tap it right to add the green and then right. still activate yeah, its ability, yeah. but a guy can dream. Yeah, I mean, this this is a, a formidable body and a, a very real threat of activation in terms of, you know, you get your opponent's life total down to, I don't know, even down to 12. And then you're like, all right, you have to kill this or I'm going to activate this three times and kill you. And then just as far as support for turning on your four powers matter stuff in red and green, there's 13 total creatures in this color pair with four power or more to begin with. So five of them are red, six of them are green and two colorless cards. That brings us to just the worst looking archetype. I wouldn't 
recommend anyone <laughs> anyone try and draft this. Stop. This is blue red spells matter. I mean, this deck just looks ridiculously busted to me, and I am going to be very sad once the rest of the world catches up. And they may just start by being caught up here. So uh, there's a lot of overlap, a lot of synergy here. Cards that care about instants or sorceries. Well, we have our our preview card, Experimental Overload. That's sort of the Archaeomancer. So you make an XX token uh, for the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard, and then you return an instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand and then exile this card. There's Kinetic Augur, which is a really cool. Three and a red for a star four with Trample. Its power is equal to the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. And when it ETBs, uh, you can draw discard up to two cards and then draw that many cards, which is pretty sweet. There's also Shipwreck Dowser, three blue blue for a 3-3 three, three with Prowess. And when it ETBs, return target instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand, as if we needed more ways to get sweet spells back out of our graveyard. This card is so, so good. Like, I'm very, very excited about that. So speaking of cards with Prowess, we do have Shipwreck Dowser. We also have, I, I thought this was an uncommon when I first read it and it made me less excited about it but the fact that you are going to be able to get multiples of this i think is exciting this is goblin wizardry three and a red for an instant create two one one red goblin wizard creature tokens with prowess yeah that's a fine i I don't think it's going to be insane but it's going to be a nice spell that gives you bodies generates threats i think it's going to be a, a good filler piece in the deck I think uh, similarly to how we slept on Riddle Form at the start of Hour of Devastation, and Riddle Form is back, baby. We'll talk about that in just a second. But a card that not only triggers prowess and and spells matter stuff, but then also is itself something that cares about it, right? So this is going to trigger prowess, but then also has prowess itself with the two one ones. I think that's going to be quite good, right? And turn it like you can realistically turn your one ones into three threes. Like it's yeah. realistic to double spell with some ops or something. Yeah, I think so. Next up, we've got Heartfire Immolator, one in a red for a 2-2 with prowess, and you can pay red and sacrifice it. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature or planeswalker. That card's bonkers good. Yeah, so good. Jeskai Elder is a reprint as well, one in a blue for a 1-2 with prowess, and when it deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. And last up, we've got Mistral Singer. This is two and a blue for a 2-2 flyer with prowess. So just rock solid stats there. And I guess we should say what prowess is, which is whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Yeah, so I think one of the things that I'm just going to start believing in is it seems like almost every time that we've seen in these crash courses a color pair with a lot of support like this, it ends up being one of the best color pairs. So I'm just going to go in assuming that blue red is going to be one of the best decks in the format yeah i have this pegged as the best deck right now but um, i'm willing to be moved off of that and i do think there's two flavors of it I i think there's an aggressive version and i think there's a controlling version and knowing which one of those you're in I think is going to be really important to being successful as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to feel there was like different flavors of blue red in Dominaria, and that was the best deck in that format as well. Um, and I think that that idea of are you a curve out, beat down, get ahead, stay ahead deck, or are you accruing a ton of value with all of your like, you know, you've got card draw and you've got experimental overload, etc. Yep. And then we've also got some prowess adjacent creatures here. So we've got Spellgorger Weird, just two in a red for a 2-2. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you get a plus one, plus one counter on it. My boy, back from War of the Spark. And Riddle Form, this is one in a blue for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, 
you may have it become a three three creature with flying until end of turn and it has two and a blue scry one do you remember how we didn't understand that riddle form was good and we were so confused when pvddr picked it during the hou pt round table review didn't remember that that's funny yeah i wonder if the rest of the world is just not gonna know like the people that didn't play in hou how busted riddle form is if it's gonna take other people longer to figure it out i hope so but not our dear sweet listeners they're gonna know right off the bat and then talking about enablers there's just great removal spells in red right there's scorching dragon fire there's shock we've already talked about a lot of those and there's also a lot of cards that can trip like this this archetype just has it all it's got mm-hmm. opt it's got crash through those are both one mana cantrips frantic inventory is really cool it's one in a blue for an instant you draw a card and then you draw a card for each card named frantic inventory in your graveyard so your first one draws you one second one draws you two third one draws you three etc there's thrill of possibility and again i think you know we're coming in higher on that card after seeing how good it could be in theros beyond death and i think it's likely to be similarly powerful here because the format looks slow enough to really take advantage of that and last but not least there's rousing read two in a blue for an aura when it ETBs, you draw two cards, then discard a card, and it gives Enchanted Creature plus one, plus one, and flying. The thing about this deck that I'm, I'm trying to, to take away from, from previous sets is that it seems like you could make a really good version of it with only commons. And I don't know if any of the other archetypes can say that. I think that's probably true. I think the uncommons are really powerful, though, right? Right. So I think, I, I think it's sort of going to be like cycling in the sense of like, you know, if it's open or even if you get like, you know, an experimental overload or a Heartfire emulator or a kinetic auger or one of these like really good uncommons, you don't need to see very much else that's higher than common at rarity to make a good version of the deck. Yeah. And I think another thing to think about might be that a lot of the uncommons enable you to play a more controlling game plan because mm-hmm. they're the ones that are going to be able to let you rebuy your premium removal spells and things like that. But the the, uh, the aggressive game plan is a lot more centered in the commons. Yeah. I mean, Spellgorger, Weird, and Mistral Singer are just good payoffs. And Goblin Wizardry, like, I'm very excited for this deck. Speaking of decks that we might not be as excited about. <laughs> <laughs> Great transition. <laughs> Perfect. Next up, we've got plus one, plus one counters matter, which is green, white. Um, So as far as payoffs here, this is just so much less supported than blue, red. You know, like, are you and I predisposed to not like green, white? Probably, like if we're being honest about it. But the thing is, is that this kind of mechanic I love. Like, I love plus one, plus one counter matter stuff. I don't know why, but I really do. I like it in cube a lot. And it just doesn't seem like it's going to get there. Yeah. So we've, we've only got a few payoffs here. The first one is very good. This is Conclave Mentor. This is the green-white gold uncommon. Uh, green-white for a 2-2. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on a creature you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on that creature instead. And when Conclave Mentor dies, you gain life equal to its power. So just to clarify, because that wording is super clunky, like if if two counters are put on a creature, it gets three instead. If one counter, it gets two instead, etc. Yep, we've also got Pride Malkin. All hail our cat overlords. Uh, this is 2G for a 2-1. When Pride Malkin enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Each creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it has trample. The dream curve here is going to be that two mana three three in green that has defender but can attack if you have a creature with power four or greater. So you just go two mana three three on on turn two and then pride Malkin on on three and now you've got a four four trampler attacking. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, somebody pointed that out in chat last night. That was something I hadn't seen. So I'm on the lookout for that now. And we've also got tempered veteran here. This is just a guild mage. 
it's one of the only good mana sinks in the format, I yeah. will say. Uh, there are not a lot of mana sinks running around. We get to that in a little bit. This is one and a white for a one, two, and you can pay a single white, tap it, and put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature that already has a plus one, plus one counter on it. Or you can pay four white, white, tap it to get the first plus one, plus one counter on target creature. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I mean, not a great body, but that's pretty sweet. So, you know, the mentor and the veteran, quite good. And then in terms of enablers for this archetype, in green, white, there are 10 ways total to get counters on creatures or creatures that make counters. I mean, Pride Malkin being one of those. So there's just not a lot of support and not a lot of powerful payoffs for this deck. I mean, there are things that are going to wear counters well, though, like the yes. anointed choristers going like lifelink creatures are going to wear counters well. There's flying threats that are going to wear counters well. I really wish they had put some of the outlast overlords in the set i think that really would have made this archetype have a lot more punch but i mean and we're already condemning this who knows this archetype might be great but it just doesn't look like the support really quite gets there it's so funny yeah i hadn't even thought about outlast but there's just so many cons of tarkir comparisons i just feel like this is like ktk light right here maybe yeah all right next up we've got drawing cards matters which is concentrated in blue green so there are six total cards in blue green that care about you having drawn more card they care about you drawing cards in a turn whether it's drawing two or more or drawing your second one or whatever um, but the really only good ones are the signpost uncommon here which is lore scale coatl it's a reprint one green blue for a two two whenever you draw a card put a plus plus one counter on lore scale coatl so obviously it's going to grow in each of your draw steps but then any additional card draw that you have is going to be sweet and Teferi's Tutelage, which is a card I'm actually really excited about. Two and a blue for an enchantment. When it ETBs, draw a card, then discard a card. And whenever you draw a card, target opponent mills two cards. I think this is going to be a very real build around win condition. I think Teferi's Tutelage is going to be one of the top two or three uncommons in the set, maybe even the best uncommon in the set. I think it's really going to be possible to rip through your deck and mill the opponent out really quickly. And worth noting that Teferi's Tutelage does not need to be in a blue-green deck. It is a blue build around and you can you can pair it any blue x deck for sure and then i also sort of have like burl fist oak here as a as sort of a prickly marmoset impression this is two gg for a two three and whenever you draw a card it gets plus two plus two until end of turn so being a mana more i think is is tough but i think it's going to play out very similarly in that like you basically can never block this into open mana in in a blue green deck because you're just going to be too scared of your opponent being able to like fire off an opt or reign of revelation or whatever. And there's also gnarled sage three GG for a four four with reach. And as long as you've drawn two or more cards this turn, it gets plus O plus two and has vigilance. So that could potentially be a very good roadblock. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and then in terms of enablers, we've got the aforementioned blue cantrips that exist, and then a number of other cards. I think uh, uh, mostly of note, Lanaware Visionary, which is just one of the best cards in the set here, or at least one of the best commons in the set here. This is two and a green for a 2-2. Two, two. When it ETBs, you draw a card, and it taps to add a G to your mana pool. Yeah, the card's absurd. It's yeah. got to be... If not the best common, one of the best commons. And I think it might be the best common. It might be. Yeah, it definitely might be. So th there does look to be support for this deck and some some good payoffs as well. But I think that that's important to note that Teferi's Tutelage is just going to be a strong build around for any blue deck. That takes us over to an archetype I really have my eyes on, which is blue-black reanimate. Yeah. Um, so there's two reanimate spells, one at common, which is crazy. And then uh, the blue, black, gold, uncommon. So we're going to start off with that. That's obsessive stitcher. This is one blue, black for an O3 that taps to draw a card. Then you discard a card. So it's been a long time since we've had a free looter. So pretty excited about that. 
and two blue black to tap it and sacrifice it return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield so it helps you get the the large monsters in your battlefield and reanimates them does it all yeah and then there's rise again which is four black sorcery at common return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield so two reanimation spells and as you said one at common so how do we get creatures into the graveyard well two jump out at me here so there's carrion grub three and a black for an o5 uh, gets plus X plus O, where X is the greatest power among creature cards in your graveyard. But the important text here is when it ETBs, you mill four cards. So put the top four cards of your library into your graveyard. There's also Crypt Lurker, which is three and a black, three, four. And when it ETBs, you may sacrifice a creature or even more importantly, discard a creature card. And if you do, draw a card. Yeah. And then there's a couple blue looting effects. We do have a, a looter here to Fairy's Protege, which is two and a blue for a two, three. You can pay one and a blue tap to draw a card, then discard a card. And the card I think is most exciting here discards itself this is waker of waves five blue blue for a seven seven and you can pay one and a blue to discard it look at the top two cards of your library put one into your hand and the other into your graveyard and then it also has the monster text of creatures your opponents control get minus one minus zero that card's absurd yeah card's real 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 good i think it's just good as a, a finisher but also just going to be premium in this reanimate deck i think another thing that came up for me i when I was drafting last night, I think there's also going to be a red black version that runs this package with Rise Again as well and Thrill of Possibility. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Enable it. Because if you think about red black or just like what we were doing in Ikoria, you know, you cared about those reanimation spells and that was a plan in and of itself. And Thrill turns it on so easily. So I also think there's going to be red black versions of this. That's I it. almost want to make Rise Again the third best black common, but it's it's not quite there for me yet. But I do think that card's very good and very real in the format. I agree. And then I think it's also important to note that blue and black each have large monsters at common to support this. So there's the aforementioned Gloomsower, which is the seven mana eight six that when it gets blocked, it drains two and spined Megalodon. Oof, five blue blue for a five seven with hex proof. And when it attacks, you scry one. Yeah, there's also uh, some premium uncommons, especially in black. Gormand is one that sticks out. Oh, yeah. So one of the sweet things about this as far as reanimating it is so this is four black black for a five five with flying. And as an additional cost to cast it you're supposed to sacrifice a creature if you reanimate it you dodge that clause and so it's a five five flying trample and when it etbs your opponents have to sacrifice a creature then card is nuts all right that segues nicely into red black which is our next actual color pair um this cares about creatures dying a little bit as well as a sacrifice theme it's not super supported as far as a red black sacrifice deck mostly because active treason is at uncommon right so that's called traitorous greed in this format and it's three and a red for a sorcery gain control of target creature and opponent controls untap it it gains haste until end of turn and you get to add two mana of any color uh, to your mana pool and then in terms of like sacrifice fodder, we don't really have that like raise the alarm style effect or anything like cheap that makes a couple bodies. Um, our best bets here at common are Deathbloom Thalid, which is in black, two and a black for a three, two. When it dies, you make a one, one Sapperling and Goblin Wizardry, which we talked about before. That's the four mana instant that makes two one, one goblins with prowess. And then we've got some repeatable sack outlets. If you are lucky enough to get a, a couple of traitorous greeds to really sort of do the red black sacrifice thing. So there's Hobble Fiend. This is one in red for a 2-1 with trample, and you can pay one, sacrifice another creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. There's the gold uncommon Dire Fleet Warmonger, one black red for a 3-3. Three, three. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, Dire Fleet Warmonger gets plus two, plus two, and gains trample until end of turn. I was sort of poo-pooing this card in our set review that I did with Alex, um, but then I think someone in chat was mentioning that it, the threat of activation here may have 
an implication on the game, even if you don't have good ways to sacrifice stuff, it is going to cause your opponent to probably have to leave back maybe more blockers than they would like to for fear of you activating this and attacking with it. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's also Witch's Cauldron, black for an artifact, and you can pay one in a black, tap it, sacrifice a creature, you gain one life and draw a card. In addition to those repeatable sack outlets, there are seven one-time sacrifice outlets in red-black at common or uncommon. And then Havoc Jester at uncommon is uh, the only real payoff that doesn't sacrifice stuff itself. This is four in a red for a 5-5. If you want to know why green is bad, why does red get a 5-mana 5-5? Good God. And whenever you sacrifice a permanent, Havoc Jester deals one damage to any target. Ooh, that's going to be another thing that pings off X1s. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so this red-black sort of ties in with green-black's theme as well. Uh, so green-black cares about things dying, which is keyworded morbid in the past, but is not keyworded here. So there's five cards that care about creatures dying, not counting when garbage life goes on where you gain eight life instead of four. Um, so first up is the green-black gold card, which is Twin Blade Assassins. This is three black-green for a 5-4, and at the beginning of your end step, if a creature died this turn, you draw a card. There's Liliana's Devotee, two and a black for a two, three. Zombies you control get plus one, plus O. Oh, and at the beginning of your end step, if a creature died, you can pay one and a black. And if you do, you make a two, two black zombie creature token. That card seems like a house to me. Yeah, that card's very strong. There's also, I, I really like this card. I don't know how powerful it is, but for something about it really appeals to me. There's Fungal Rebirth, two and a green for an instant return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. And if a creature died this turn, create two one one green sapling creature tokens. That's got to be the most Ethan card in the format, I think. <laughs> It's just like, <laughs> I love probably that card. true. Yeah. Uh, there's Caged Zombie, two and a black for a 2-3. You pay one and a black, tap it. Each opponent loses two life, but you can only activate it if a creature died this turn. There's also a super busted equipment that I've, I've got pegged as the best uncommon in the set. I think it it might get overthrown by Teferi's Tutelage. I don't know. Those, those two are competing hot and heavy for that slot for me, but this is Malefic Scythe. I think this card's going to be slept on for a little bit, and then people are going to realize after facing it down how oppressive it is. So this is one in a black for an equipment. When it ETBs, it gets a soul counter, and equip creature gets plus one, plus one for each soul counter on Malefic Scythe. It's got an equip cost of one. So it starts as a two cost, one equip, plus one, plus one. And then whenever equipped creature dies, you put another soul counter on it. So it starts getting plus two, plus two after the first creature dies, plus three, plus three after the second creature dies, which is just going to happen in games of limited. And the fact that this has an equip cost of one is ridiculous. This would still probably be a good card with an equip cost of two or three potentially. But that's why that's why this is so busted is because it's the one equip cost. Don't don't take that away from it. (laughs) yeah i'm so i'm kind of bummed because i thought i was like being so smart about being so high on this card but then like alex also thought it was busted you thought it was busted like i think this card this card may just read powerful to most people you know um but i'm hoping that at least the cat's in the bag for a little while and we get to take advantage of it enablers for this green black dying matters cards so there's the aforementioned sacrifice outlets that black has and then there are some creatures that sack themselves Uh, specifically these two one drops i think might actually be a little better than they look so first up we've got liliana's steward single black for a one two zombie you can tap to sack it to have target opponent discard a card and you can activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery 
So I think a free way to turn on your dying matter stuff is is good. And this is going to get a card along the way, as long as your opponent has more than zero cards in their hand. Yeah, there's also Portcullis Vine, which I'm a lot less excited about. Liliana Stewart being free is big game. Uh, Portcullis Vine is green for an 0-3, and you can pay two, tap it, and sacrifice it to draw a card. Or any creature with Defender, right? Right, so you could sack your, your three threes if you wanted. Yeah, I th- I think this is going to be good. I, I think this... I was really confused about why Portcullis Vine was in the set, and then when I started to think about it in the context of this Morbid deck, I, I, I think it's definitely going to have a home. And then lastly, we've got... I mean, you're not trying to sacrifice this too often, but when you do, you're going to get some benefits. Thrashing Brontodon is one GG for a 3-4, and you can pay one sack it to destroy target artifact or enchantment. Yeah, and there's also just going to be good old-fashioned casting some removal spells and bashing your creatures against each other in combat. That's going to bring us to a couple sort of tribal things that they don't really get there. So there's dogs and cats in this format, and uh, if you want to hear some people loving about dogs and cats on their podcast, feel free to listen to... uh, the arena deck lists podcast <laughs> not, but yeah, not not this podcast this is this is not the podcast where your hosts are going to be excited about uh dog tribal or cat tribal here so we're gonna get so much hate mail <laughs> whatever we we, we want to be honest with our listeners ben look i look i like dogs and cats i just don't want it as a theme in my magic the gathering set particularly well, you're in luck because it doesn't really get there here so there's there's only six dogs total at common or uncommon three red three white and the only non-rare that cares about these is, is alpine hound Mask. This is red and a white for a 2-2 human warrior at Uncommon. When it ETBs, you may search your library for a card named Alpine Watchdog and or a card named Igneous Cur. Reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. And when this creature attacks, it gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is the number of other attacking creatures. So Alpine Watchdog, this is one and a white for a 2-2 with Vigilance. And Igneous Cur is one and a red for a 1-2 that has Smoke Breathing. You can pay one and a red to give it plus two, plus O until end of turn. This uh, this card is pretty good. I mean, you know, I think Whisper Squad really showed us the power of searching stuff up. Now you have to draw the Hound Master before you draw the cards that it can search up if you want to get that value. Um, but I think this is going to be a strong card. I don't really really i I don't like those other two cards are just not great right they're not great but they're not terrible and when you get to play this and draw two cards that's gonna be really good and so are you playing one of each of them hoping to draw your alpine houndmaster first are you putting two copies of each of those bad commons in your deck i think if i have houndmaster i'm looking for two of each yeah I, I guess i don't know it's tough i mean if this is bad that that bodes poorly for this for red white i think <laughs> i i agree i'm not i'm not super high on red white cats are also here so there's four cats at common and uncommon and also not really a thing the rare cat lord um there's one at rare that pumps your team and lets your cats destroy an artifact or an enchantment right yeah it's not good because it's like not really you don't really care about disenchant effects i think and there's only four cats at common or uncommon yep so cats and dogs cute not really gonna get there in the format it doesn't look like that takes us to sweepers we always check in on what sort of sweepers there are in the format there's not a lot here in m21 mm-hmm. uh top of the heap massacre worm three black 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 for a six five when etbs creatures your opponents control get minus two minus two until end of turn and whenever a creature your opponent controls dies this turn they lose two life and then we've also got pestilent haze at uncommon this is one black black for a sorcery choose one all creatures get minus two minus two until end of turn or remove two loyalty counters from each planeswalker so a nice little minus two minus two sweeper there at uncommon yeah and normally we take a look at incidental life gain but there's a whole archetype dedicated to it in black white and there's not a lot of incidental life gain outside of black white right so that's going to move us on to checking in on what mana fixing we have available so first up we've got the gain land so i think much like 
we saw in Aquaria where they sort of replaced a basic land, you know, a third of the time. I think you're going to see about eight of these in a draft. So we've got the full cycle of the ETB tap gain lands. And there's also at Uncommon Meteorite. This is a five mana colorless artifact when ETBs deals two damage to any target and can tap to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. There's Prismite. This is a two mana two one that you can pay two generic mana to filter. So you can pay two to add a color, add a mana of any color to your mana pool. There's the Green Sanctum. Uh, This is one of the cycle of shrines, Sanctum of Fruitful Harvest. We're going to argue about that card in a little bit. Uh, Uh, Can we just talk about it now? We could, sure, we Let's, can just talk about it now. I'm so, this I'm is... so curious. I have to know what I'm missing about this card. <laughs> so this is two and a green for a Sanctum uh, Shrine. And at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you get to add a mana of any color to your mana pool uh, equal to the number of shrines you control. Okay, so there's a full cycle of these shrines. They all have these abilities that care about how many shrines you have. So they scale with how many shrines you have, but they're legendary. So you can't have multiple copies of each of them in play. So like you can only have one green one in play. So just skipping ahead to our argument section here, I gave this an F and I believe Ben, you gave this a B minus. Did I give this a B minus? Maybe that was just a B ornery after I saw that you gave it an F. Yeah, you I did, did give it a B minus. B minus <laughs> is probably a little aggro. I'm going to walk walk that back to a C plus. Whatever. That's quite a large gap in our grades. That is quite a large gap in our grades. Maybe the biggest gap. Uh, what don't you like about this card? No, 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 no. <laughs> you have to tell me what's good about this card. Okay, it, it ramps you and it fixes you permanently. For any color of spell, it's a source of any of the five colors as you need it to be flexible, interchanging on your turns, which is exactly what you want in a deck that's trying to cast all five sanctums. I I don't like three mana ramp is a totally fine card, right? With upside. So you're thinking about it like mana geode, which was a three mana mana rock. I mean, it had scry one of the ETB, but basically it's like tap to add a mana of any color. That's what you're thinking about this as? Yes. With significant upside because there's a cycle of cards that care about this, right? Yeah. So I guess I mean, like I wouldn't grade Mana Geode as an F. So perhaps I could bump it up to like, I don't know, a D or something. I don't but re- what I'm seeing with the fact that there's only 10 gold cards that there's 10, there's 13 gold cards in total in the set, 10 uncommon and three rare. So I just don't feel like I'm splashing that much unless you're splashing for like those five mana clunky removal spells, or maybe there are like some bomb rares that are single pipped that I'm not thinking of, but I feel like splashing is really not going to happen that much in this format. See, I I disagree. I I think there's going to be splashing. I think the cards, I think the format looks like it's going to be slow Mm -hmm. based on what I've seen so far, based on the lack of two drops, based on like most creatures being three drops, etc. I think other than blue red, there's not a lot of cohesive ways to be aggressive in the format and i think there's also a lot of cards that just like do what they say they do and so i think there's going to be room to really explore finding what the best cards are and figuring out how to put them in a deck together with with stuff like the sanctums and and getting those things together thrill of possibilities to discard like i think there's going to be a five color garbage deck that plays a really good controlling game and just plays the best cards and you just have better card quality than everyone else that's like mashing their creatures into each other all right i mean i hope so obviously i love those kinds of decks i just don't i just don't see it that so that's that's why i i am gonna walk it back to a c plus b minus b minus is so aggro (laughs) it's really aggro yeah I'll, i'll go up to a d for this one but this is not a card that is exciting me 
Okay. Uh, there's also uh, Cultivate at Uncommon, two and a green. Uh, similarly to Sanctum, this is really going to turn on a five-color green deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, this lets you search up two basic lands and put one of them onto the battlefield tapped and one in your hand. I think that that card is also great and is going to enable a green control deck. Mm-hmm. And then moving on to Mana Sinks, there's really not a lot. We've got we've got a, a short list here in our show notes. We'll only be talking about a few. Uh, we've got Brutal Form. That's the the one in a blue enchantment that that can become a three three flyer. But importantly, it has two in a blue Scry one, so you can use that multiple times in a turn as well. Um, but that that Mana Sink don't don't sleep on it. That really has an impact on the game. Yeah, we talked about Tempered Veteran earlier. That's the thing that can put plus one, plus one counters on things for one mana uh, that already has plus one, plus one counters on it, or six mana to get the first counter on there. And again, we already talked about Leafkin Avenger. That's the the green, red, gold card. So there's there's mana sinks, but they're not super busted. Right. Um, and that, that takes us on to Flying and Flying Hate. And blue-white is sort of the flying archetype. So there's 15 total creatures with flying, plus a handful of other cards that care about flying or give flying, things like that. And as far as flying hate, uh, there's that green uh, instant speed run afoul target creature sac- target opponent sacrifices a creature with flying. And there's four creatures with reach. There's snare spinner as a green two drop turret ogre as a red four drop. And there's also skyway sniper, which is single green for a one two with reach and has an activated ability two and a green deal one damage to target creature with flying. And there's gnarled sage. That's the three GG for a four four with reach. And whenever you draw your second card each turn, it gets plus O, plus two, and Vigilance. So other than Skyway Sniper, which I think is quite strong, there's not as much flying hate as we've seen. Like Run Afoul is, uh, I think, a fair bit worse than Plummet, though maybe outside of a dedicated blue-white deck, it'll just get its man every time. Um, And there's way more flyers than we've seen previously. So the, the 15 creatures plus the handful of stuff that grants flying or makes flyers or turns into a flyer i think uh i think flying is going to (laughs) be you've heard it here first flying is going to be good in this limited format yeah and i do think the the blue white flyers deck is very tempo-y and i think that's going to be another really good aggressive deck in the format i've been saying it's it's only going to be blue red i've I've drafted a very good blue white flyers deck last night but it hinged on having three of the gold uncommon that's one of the best cheap threats Mm -hmm. um so it's it's blue white for a 2-2 flyer that makes your other creatures with flying cost one less and whenever a creature with flying ETBs under your control, the two drop gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. That card's very good and I think really going to be a huge threat in the format. Yeah. All right. That's going to bring us on to my second favorite part of the crash course, but I think most people's favorite part, the Ethan Ben throwdown here. So we're going to look at our uh, grade differences for these cards. But first up, let's talk about the grading scale that we're going to use. So to preface, this is the limited resources grading scale that we are borrowing here. Uh, Kick things off at the A's, the bombs, game winners. They're good in many situations, especially when behind some of the best cards in the set, bomb rares and hyper efficient spells. Think cards like Garuda, Luris and Zenith Flare. Your B's are strong cards that pull you into a color slash make you want to play that color reasons to be in a particular color or combination of colors. I think that's a really good threshold for that. The biggest gap, I think, is from C plus to B minus. And when when stuff gets into B minus range, that's when you start to think, like, does this pull me into that color? So Bastion of Remembrance, Snare Tactician or Fire Prophecy. Your C is your solid playables, the meat and potatoes of any limited deck, very interchangeable, average creatures or normal or overcosted removal spells. Uh, So stuff like Honey Mammoth. Thieving Otter, Boot Nipper, and Divine Arrow. Ds are sometimes playable below average 22nd, 23rd type cards. Bankelica Glider, Wingfold Terran, Gloom Pangolin, or Flycatcher Giraffid. 
Your Fs are your unplayables, cards you should never put in your deck, or weird rares, stuff like Song of Creation and Emergent Ultimatum. And then some some sort of categories here beyond the letter grades. We've got sideboard cards. These are cards that don't make the main deck, but when you board them in, can be quite good. Duraneth Magistrate, RIP, <laughs> before, uh, before the companion change, this was a great sideboard card. Uh, Light of Hope, Plummet, Keep Safe. That takes us on to the build-arounds, cards that don't do much on their own, but when you build around them, can be good to great. Things like Weaponize the Monsters, Ominous Seas, Sanctuary Lockdown, and Zenith Flare. And then Synergy cards. So these are different than build-arounds. They're cards that are not good enough to build your deck around, but provide good support if they're in the right deck. So Blitz of the Thunder Raptor, Solid Footing, Night Squad Commando, those type of cards. Like half of the cards in Ikoria. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, so that takes us onwards to the gradation differences. We're going to kick things off with the white commons here. We're starting off with Staunch Shieldmate. You gave us a C minus. I gave us a D. This is single white for a 1-3. So I, I think we just remind ourselves here that the person who has the higher grade should be the one who has to defend their high stance first. So I'll I'll, I'll take that here with my C minus. Um, I think, and this this is because of a card that I'm very, very excited about, Basri's Acolyte. Um, so this is two white white for a two three with lifelink. When the ETBs, uh, you can put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two other creatures, um, which is really, really powerful. And so I, for me, that the power of that card in my mind bumps up any one, two, or three drop in the format. And I think this wearing a plus one plus one counter is pretty big game as a one mana two four so maybe i'm being a little optimistic about this card but i think a total of of four power and toughness obviously i wouldn't be excited about an oh four but a one three i think is going to be okay in this format i I just think it's so much worse than anointed chorister that you're just never going to be happy if staunch shield makes your deck and so as a reminder anointed chorister is the white one one with lifelink that can pump itself yeah i think i i I agree i want to take chorister over this but i think I i will play this more often than it seems but maybe this card is just junk i i would argue that you're gonna put this in your deck less than two times in the format We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll check. You don't need, I don't need to hold you to any sort of statistics here. I will, we'll check back in on Staunch Shieldmate in, in the coming weeks. All right, next up, we've got Warded Battlements. This is two and a white for an O3 with Defender. Attacking creatures you control get plus one, plus O. So you give this a D. I gave this a Synergy C. I think we're probably saying the same thing with different grades would be my guess. I think you want this as like a one to two of in a very aggressive deck. Specifically, I think its best home is in the the blue-white Flyers deck. Giving Flyers an additional point of power when they're attacking is big game. Yeah, maybe this is good in blue-white. I just kept thinking about like do you ever play this? If this was just an enchantment, would you ever play it? Yeah, you play Orcish or Flame, right? I don't think you do. <laughs> that, that's that's at least my feeling is like i don't i feel like that's just such a such a win-ish more card i mean think putting in the context of flyers makes sense and then i think in that particular deck perhaps this is better because it comes along with the body that can at least hold off like a 2-2 while you're racing in the air but i don't know i'm, I'm skeptical of this effect i mean turning your, your concordia pegasus into a 2-3 flyer that's very good it is very good but it comes at the cost of this card which i don't know is worth a card yeah that's fair yeah Next up is Secure the Scene. <laughs> Foreign white for a sorcery. Exile target non-land permanent. Its controller creates a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token. So I gave this a C. You gave this a D plus. Uh, and I, I probably can walk this down to a C minus or whatever. This, the more I think about it, the more this does feel like Kazmina's transmutation. Like obviously bounce doesn't interact with it, but you're just turning your opponent's thing into a 1-1. One, one. And maybe non-land permanent is going to be relevant some amount of the time. Like 
being able to blow up a scythe is probably going to be big game or blowing up to fairy's tutelage if those become like weaponize and bastion type effects in the format that like you really want to have an answer to then i think secure the scene probably does say stay at a c level card but it is clunky removal it's so clunky. My guess is you're going to want exactly one secure the scene and you are going to not have to go out of your way to pick it up. That's fair. Yeah, I'll go down to C minus. All right. Next up, we've got Griffin Airy. You give us a D plus. I gave us a build around B. Wow. Pessimistic over there. So this is one and a white for the enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, if you gained three or more lifeless turn, create a 2-2 white Griffin creature token with flying. I think mostly uh, you are a very optimistic card evaluator and I am a very pessimistic a very conservative card evaluator i think that's probably true but i also think of the two of us you're the first person to branch out and experiment yes. which is odd yes i agree <laughs> i agree <laughs> um i i i, I trust that griffin area is going to get there I, i've got faith in wizards of the coast i think if you do get there it's very powerful right the question is how often are you going to be able to gain three life a turn my grade says you're going to be able to do that yeah i'm a little worried so i think you want to make I guess, are you just happy making one griffin off of this? I think so. That's interesting. Yeah, because it's just two mana. But when are you making that griffin? Like, are you happy putting this on, playing this on turn two and not making that griffin until turn five? But I think once you make the first griffin, you're going to be able to start making griffins, right? Like, it's not I often going to be a one-shot thing. And if you just, like, jam three revitalizes in your deck with this, like, all of a sudden you've got a 2-2 griffin with flying and draw a card and gain three life that's busted yeah but this does cost you a card so the first revitalize doesn't replace itself yes but i don't know this this looks good to me i'm excited all right i'm i'm excited to lose to it and then figure out how to draft around it next up is seasoned hollow blade i'm surprised you don't like this little guy this is uh one and a white for a three one and it says discard a card tap seasoned hollow blade but it can be tapped for you to activate this and it gains indestructible until end of turn uh i gave this a b you gave this a c plus this feels like it's really really hard to kill like, it just turns every card in your hand into a free combat trick for this. And God forbid you put a plus one plus one counter on this at any point, which I think is going to be possible in white. And this feels just like near unblockable to me. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought about the plus one plus one counter thing. As it sits as a three one. I, it's a Danto Vanguard. Except like four life is so much better to pay than a card, right? So it's it's sure. not. I mean, in, in that sense. Like, I think if like, if you play this and your opponent plays whatever, the Sky Scanner, like you're not discarding cards to get your opponent's Sky Scanner off the battlefield, right? Right, right. So it's got, like it has the X1 problem. Goblin Arsonist and Sky Scanner make this card feel bad. But I think a lot of other stuff makes this card feel quite good. So here's the play pattern I I am scared of happening, and I'm I'm less scared of it happening once you once you brought up plus one plus one counters, and that's probably just the way to make this card good. But like every bad creature on your opponent's side of the battlefield, you're going to have to discard a card to get off their side of the battlefield, and then eventually, Hallowblade just gets blanked like around turn five or turn six by an X four, right? So I think if you're thinking about it in the context of plus one plus one counters, I'm more excited about it. I, I could see going up to B minus. I think B is a little aggressive. Yeah, I don't know. This card seems like a premium two drop to me and i think is a strong pull into white so i, I do think it's a premium two drop and the two twos are hard to come by so I, i'll go b minus next up we've got light of promise this is two and a white enchant creature enchanted creature has whenever you gain life put that many plus one plus one counters on this creature you give us an f i give us a d plus i mean this is not a good card i think 
you might play this as a 22nd, 23rd type card in a life gain deck, but I think it's it's generally going to be pretty bad. You're never casting this. I'm going to put the I'm just going to the hard line <laughs> at zero times. This is the, this is a literal three mana zero zero. I could see that potentially being true for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's an F, though. It does some things. Very. You know, the things it does is it's basically like three mana discard a card. I, no, it's it's got a higher ceiling than Oaken Form, right? I'll take Oaken Form over this all day, every day. Well, but the thing is, like, if you land this on a lifelink creature and protect it with Feet of Resistance, it, it just goes Voltron, right? Like, this this wants to go on a lifelink creature. And I do think it like, is Hydra's powerful growth, when you do that. Hydra's growth wasn't even good. And that, like, grew on its own. And this takes work to grow. I just don't think, like, raw stats over time is something that is good. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not a good card. I don't know why I'm arguing <laughs> on its behalf. <laughs> Last card here in white is Falconer Adept. This is three and a white for a 2-3. When it attacks, you create a 1-1 white bird creature token with flying that's tapped and attacking. I also argued with Alex about this. I gave this a D plus. You gave this a C plus. Yeah, this is not great. I mean, it's fine. It's powerful if it gets going. It's it's hard to get it going though, right? But yeah. as soon as you do the thing and you start going off with it, it does snowball pretty hard. I don't know. I mean, I don't love it. Yeah, I'm really unexcited about a four mana two three. I feel like if you can get good attacks with your four mana two three on turn five, and then also have the one one flyers be good, like you're just winning that game anyway with anything else. And this is so embarrassing otherwise. Yeah, I agree. You're right. It's not a good card. All right, moving over to blue. First up, we've got Keen Glide Master. You give us a D plus. I gave us a C. This is one and a blue for a two one, and you can pay two and a blue target creature gains flying until end of turn card's fine i think it's a, a two drop that's gonna stay relevant into the late game i think it's a solid c so compare this to wingspan mentor is this better or worse than wingspan mentor worse than wingspan mentor right wasn't that card like a d plus a d Wing, wingspan mentor was like a three drop though in a very high powered format sure I don't, okay i don't yeah. think that's a fair comparison at all okay okay i mean king glidemaster is like a two drop and in a in a color that wants to be aggressive as a blue red as blue white it's gonna jump like i think white is gonna have to play that three one that gives a creature plus two plus oh and this is gonna jump that as a three powered flyer and there aren't there aren't mana sinks in the format right like i just think this is gonna do some things all right i'll go up to c minus you got me. Next up is Library Larcenist. You give us a D, I gave us a C. This is two and a blue for a one, two. When it attacks, you draw a card. Yeah, so tell me what I'm missing. Yeah, this is like a, a scroll thief, right? So I think the, the knock against this card is that it's a one-powered thing, right? So that it's not often going to trade with something when it attacks. Um, but I do think it's fundamentally powerful, right? So when this comes down... Your opponent's alarm bells go off, right? The antenna go up like you can't let library larcenist hit you. When this hits the battlefield, I think the game changes. Your opponent has to leave back blockers and they also have to be worried about you giving this flying, you know, with a keen glide master or, you know, rousing read. I think there's ways to turn on library larcenist and it's it's a powerful effect. So I, I do think this this is going to be played and i think it's going to do some things okay I, yeah i'm just so scared of like you're on the draw and you play this as a three mana one two yeah but i i just don't think you're gonna get beaten down that often yeah i'm gonna stick with my grade of d i think blue has enough better things to do to get card advantage than this 
that's that's I think that's also probably true and fair. But in the situation where you're worried about this being a bad blocker, then you're getting to attack with your library larcenist, right? I mean, you're getting to get a card back, but you're telling me you're uh, so that's the, the turn your opponent has attacked with everything and not played a creature. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just don't think this guy. I just think this this body is too small. That's fair. Yeah. Right, that's going to move us on to the uncommons here with Sanctum of Calm Waters, Ben Werney, Lord of Shrines. This is a legendary enchantment shrine for three and a blue. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you may draw X cards, where X is the number of shrines you control. And if you do, you discard a card. So this, on its own, is just a looter. You get another shrine in play, and now you're drawing two and discarding one. You get three, drawing three, discarding one. Pretty sweet. I gave this a D. You gave this a build-around C. I think I can get, I can get down with build-around C. I actually kind of want to bump it up to a C+. Not even necessarily for the Hanan deck, but I think this is a discard outlet for the reanimator deck mm -hmm. as well and is going to help dig you toward that stuff. And I also think it works very well with Teferi's tutelage just mm -hmm. as a way to turbo mill your opponent. I, th I think this is just going to be a, a fine card in blue decks. Yeah, I I'll come up to build around C plus with you. Next up, we've got Waker of Waves. You gave this a C plus. I gave this a B plus. Yeah, this is that seven mana seven seven. You can pay one and a blue to discard it. Creatures your opponent's control get minus one, minus oh. Yeah, this is very, very powerful. I was just trying to knock it a little bit because it's a seven drop. But it's not though, right? Because anytime you don't want it as a seven drop, you get a cyclet for two mana. Right. With with some card selection. Yeah. So it's a it's a, a split card. In, in, a, in a format where there aren't split card top ends, like it's not free to just like jam lava serpents in your deck in this format. So this this becomes more valuable as a result of its scarcity, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that's a great argument. I'll, I'll bump that up to B plus for sure. All right, that takes us on to Black Commons. First up is Sanguine Indulgence. You gave us a C, I gave us a D plus. Yeah, this is three and a black for a sorcery. Uh, return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And the spell costs three less to cast. If you've gained three more or more life this turn, that doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, I just think every black deck is going to want a copy of this. Like this is card advantage. This is a four mana soul salvage. I think that's a good card especially in a core set i agree I, I think i got thrown off by thinking the life gain thing wasn't going to happen much and i think i gave it a worse grade but that's just upside right right yeah I, I, i'm gonna go c minus yeah i'm not quite at c but i, I agree you're gonna want a copy of this in most black decks. it's it's like a weird thing where like i feel like the first copy is actually a c but yeah you probably don't need to pick it at the same level because you only really want one copy and and i think a note about this card you really want to have ways to fill your graveyard other than creature combat. So if you have looting effects or self-mill effects or anything like that, that's going to make this card better. Next up, we've got Witch's Cauldron. Moving on to the Uncommons. You gave us a D plus. I gave us a C. This is black for the artifact, and you can pay one and a black tap, sacrifice a creature to gain a life and draw a card. This is a fine repeatable sack outlet, right? I think this is just worse than Village Rites, which is the common single black instant as an additional cost to cast this spell, you sack a creature to draw two cards. Yeah, I also think with the, with the act of treason being an uncommon yeah. in the set, I, I probably I, I think you're probably right on D plus. I'm going to join you there. It's 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 weird because I was thinking about this in the context of like Witch's Oven from Throne of Eldraine, which you know if you had stuff that cared about food, it did have this weird effect on the game in terms of like, well, all your removal spells are blanked basically because they get to just sack the thing to, to turn it into some food. And this sacks the thing to turn it into cards, which is real, except holding up two mana for it is, is quite a bit of a cost, I think. I agree, yeah. Two mana is a, a big rub. Um, I mean, I guess we already talked about Malefic Scythe. I gave this a B. You gave this an A-, which feels so aggro to me, but I love it. 
It's, I mean, wanted to make a statement, man. I think this card's great. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm down with best uncommon in the set to start, but we, we already sang our love for that black equipment. So let's move on to red here. I'm, sh- I'm shocked. I'm shocked here, Ben. <laughs> in the comments, we've got Spellgorger Weird, uh, two and a red for the two two. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a plus one plus one counter on it. You give us a B, I give us a C plus. I mean, this card's very good. This card, this card was really good in War of the Spark, and I think it might be better here because this is a lower powered set. That's possible. I'd buy it. I mean, you don't have to talk me. I, I'll go B minus. B seems like a very strong stance. That's my that's my stance. I feel strong, and I'm standing with Spellgorger Weird. I'll go. I'll go B minus. All right, sweet. Uh, next up here is Bone Pit Brute. This is four red red for a four five with menace. When it ETBs, target creature gets plus four plus O until end of turn. I, I said D plus, you said C. Yeah, this is going to be a fine common finisher in the six drop slot, right? Four five menace is large. Getting in four damage potentially on a flyer or something that's evasive is going to be big game the turn you cast this. I think it's going to be fine filler in the six drop slot. Yeah, th- filler is what I think it is. That's why I'm in the D plus range. I, I, I think... You could take or leave this card. Yeah, D plus, C minus. I mean, yeah, we're saying the same thing with different grades. Yeah. All right. Chandra's Pyroling is up next. This takes us to our first uncommon. You gave us a C. I gave us a D. This is one and a red for a one three. And whenever a source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent, Chandra's Pyroling gets plus one plus O and gains double strike until end of turn. Yeah, this card isn't very good. I don't know. It's got some threatening stuff, but like, I don't know. What are you doing? You're shocking your opponent's face. To, yeah, to you don't want to do that. Two-two. Yeah, you don't really want to do that. Well, I mean, it's it's an additional three. Da- you like shock them, and then that's turning shock into a one mana lava axe. That's sh- that's cute, not good. It's cute, not good. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, um, I'm I'm in for for D here. Last in the red uncommons, we've got Furious Rise. You give us a D. I give us a Synergy C plus. Yeah, I have a real hard time with the tension of red green wanting to be a hey we've got big beefy stuff that we're trying to play and be down our opponent with and then also take a turn off to play these incremental card advantage enchantments yeah it just it just lets you compete in the late game right and overwhelm control decks mm-hmm. i don't know I, I think the fact that there's also garrick's uprising or which whatever is better, it's called right which is i yeah the trample is so relevant yeah 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 so i think both of them go down in a value as a result of both of them existing in the same color pair. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe this is more of synergy. But I, I think I, I want to note here that you're saying synergy C plus not build around C plus like. Yeah, this doesn't make me want to draft red green. Right. This is I want to be red green and then get my furious rise or get my Garrick's uprising for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. All right. Moving on to green. We actually are in agreement here with all of the commons or at least close enough that we don't have any listed, which is funny because I am low on green. I, I, I think it's sort of like I'm saying green is the worst color and you're like, yeah, but green is still fine. I think feels like I, I'm not even convinced that green's the worst color. Yeah, maybe it's not. Um, first up here, going to be a similar argument to our Sanctum of Fruitful Harvest. Uh, I have Cultivate as a D. You have it as a B minus. I just think there's a. I think there's really good control decks out there that are base green. Yeah, yeah, that definitely could be true. Um, I, that's but that's my that's my selling point. All right, I, I'm I'm going to keep my eyes open, but I'm gonna I'm going into this format thinking I want to draft streamline two color decks. So I, I would I would say as a counterpoint to that, like I, I don't think those streamlined two color decks look that powerful with the exception of blue red. And so I think I think you're going to need to be more creative to get better decks. I don't know, dude, like I'm going to draft a consistent deck that curves out and you're going to be derping around with cultivate and sanctum of fruitful harvest. 
That's that's my feeling. Like you're like taking multiple turns off while I'm affecting the board. Taking a turn off to then do bigger things and blank. Like I just don't think the the aggressive cards are there to punish me for taking a turn off. That that's my feeling. Yeah. And maybe maybe there's enough incidental life gain as well. And because it's a, a theme, if you're like green black or green white or whatever, green base, green black, green white, splash that you get to recoup that life loss and then you're just going, you know, bigger than I am. That's that's possible. Right. That's that's my dream. All right. We got to talk about Canopy Stalker here. Three and a green for a 4-2. Canopy Stalker must be blocked if able. And when it dies, you gain one life for each creature that died this turn. I gave this a D plus. You gave this a C plus. I don't know what I was thinking. This is I, like... You must have been thinking it gets like it lured, right? Like it had to be blocked by everything. Uh, I don't know. This is not good. This is a not good card. Okay, great. Yeah. C minus D plus. Perfect. All right. That's going to take us on to the final segment here. We're going to be looking at each of our top three commons and top two uncommons. And I have to say, Ben, I think this is the most lined up we've ever been. Uh, yeah, we are. We are in agreement for a large portion of these. We'll see if they hold up over the course of the format. Yeah, that means we're either very right or very wrong. <laughs> All right. So white commons in the number three slot. Uh, we've both got feet of resistance. This is one and a white. Put a plus one plus one counter on target creature and it gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. I actually have that as my number two. My number three is... Oh, snap. My number three is Swift Response. This is one and a white for the instant. Destroy target tapped creature. Yeah, that's my number two. I, so I think the argument against Swift Response, right, is that it, it's not good when you're beating down. But I, I think there are white controlling decks as well. And I think this is going to be a great card to splash in like non-base white control decks. So as a, a counterpoint to that for, for me is that, so you'll notice here, folks, if you're following along with our spreadsheet, that's where you download the podcast, that these cards within common, uncommon, and rare and mythic, they're not sorted alphabetically, but they're sorted by CMC, which I think is actually was really helpful for me in, in grading these cards, looking at like the curve of the commons and uncommons. And sometimes we have this thing in white where it, there's a split of like half the cards are white aggro cards and half the cards are white control cards. I don't feel like that's the case here. I feel like white's commons support an aggro curve pretty unanimously. So that that's my feeling of, well, maybe swift response is going to be a little worse, but maybe I'm, I'm misreading what white is trying to do. No, I, th I think you're 100% right about what, what white's trying to do. I do think that you'll maybe get into a race and you'll, you'll like, this is going to nab Colossal Dreadmaw or whatever when your opponent's trying to crack back against you. Right. And and I also think it's a, it's a great splash in a non-base white deck. And then top of the heap here is Basri's Acolyte. That's the two white, white, two, three lifelinker when it ETBs. Put a plus or minus one counter on each of up to two other target creatures you control. Yeah, that's my number one as well. Well, I'm moving on to the uncommons in my number two slot. I've got Griffin Airy as the gain three life white build around enchantment. I've got Seasoned Hallowblade. That's the two mana three one that you can discard a card to give it indestructible until end of turn. And in my number one slot, I've got Faith's Fetters. That's three and a white uh, for an enchantment aura. When it ETBs, you gain four life. Uh, and it enchants something on your opponent's side, enchant permanent, and enchant a creature can't, or enchant a permanent can't attack or block or use its activated abilities. Unless they're mana abilities. Yeah, Faith's Fetters is really strong if you've never played with it. Especially when you care about like gaining three life in a turn, uh -huh. like shutting something down and triggering your gain three life, Oof. your Gryphonary, it's going to be real good. That's the dream right there. All right, you ready for the hot take here, Ben? I'm ready for the hot take. All right, looking at blues, top commons, number three, opt. Single blue mana, scry one, draw a card. Yeah, I, I'm buying on that. 
I just don't think Opt is better than Frantic Inventory. So in my number three slot, I've got Frantic Inventory, which is similar to Opt, except I think it's just got way more upside going after multiple copies of it. So Frantic Inventory is one in a blue for the instant, uh, draw a card, and then for each card named Frantic Inventory in your graveyard, you get another card. Right, so, so like it, it scales with the, the number of copies you get. Why are you more excited about Opt than Frantic Inventory? Single mana, basically, and, and the fact that if I don't see multiples, it doesn't matter. Sure. I think it's more intrinsically powerful. Like, yes, the ceiling on inventory is higher, but the floor on opt is higher. I agree. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see as the format goes on, which one of those I'm, I'm going to start off on the frantic inventory train, just because I think as soon as you do it for two mana draw two, it's absurd. And then anything after that is ridiculous. And I also think there's a lot of ways to loot and rummage mm -hmm. to get your first copy in the graveyard for free. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's definitely the whisper squad of the format, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, so Mistral Singer is my number two. That's two and a blue for the two two with flying and prowess. And both of our number ones is roaming Ghostlight. This is three blue blue for a three two flying spirit. And when it ETBs, you return target non spirit creature to its owner's hand. Um, this card is very good. I mean, yes, dies to shock is an argument against it, but I still think it's quite good. Yeah, very powerful. Uh, moving on to the blue uncommons. There are a lot of really good blue uncommons. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to swap what I've got here a little bit. Ooh. So my my honorable mention is Waker of the Waves. It's the seven mana seven seven yeah. we talked about earlier. My number two slot, I'm going to I'm going to bump down real form off its top of the heap slot. Uh, so real form is the one in a blue enchantment that turns into a three three whenever you cast a non creature spell and you can pay a two and a blue to scry one. Yeah, I've got that as my number one. I'm going to stick to it. I just swapped. This really speaks to the power of blues uncommons here. I had Shipwreck Dowser. That's sort of the uh, the Archaeomancer variant here. That's the five mana, three, three with prowess. And when it ETBs, you return an instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. That card's really, really good. But I think I'm going to put Teferi's Tutelage at number two. Yeah, Teferi's Tutelage is bonkers. Like blue, blues uncommons are through the roof, right? And I think it's, I think it's going to be, I think all four blue decks look really good to me. Yeah, that makes sense to me as well. Like the blues individual card grades aren't stellar, but blue is very good glue for all of the all of the color pairs. Yeah. That makes sense. Moving on to the black commons uh, in the honorable mention slot. I cheated a little bit. I put rise <laughs> again uh, four and a black for the sorcery reanimate target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. I could honestly see that being the number three common. Yeah, it's possible. I feel like Death Bloom Thalad does enough, but maybe not uh, to, to warrant it being number three. I think I think it just really it's just an intrinsically powerful card on its own and I think works really well in tandem with a lot of the things that black color pairs are trying to do. Yep, I agree. That's my number three as well. Number two, finishing blow, four and a black for the instant destroy target creature or planeswalker. This might get bumped down, you know, like five mana may just be too clunky or too replaceable to warrant like putting something like rise again ahead of it, maybe. But I feel like this is going to be more of a like raw power format than it will be a like greater than the sum of its parts format. I could certainly see that. Yeah. Yeah. And then number one, grasp of darkness, black, black instant target creature gets minus four, minus four until end of turn. Moving on to the black uncommons in the number two slot. I've got gourmand. Uh, this is four black, black for the five, five flying demon with trample as an additional cost to cast it. You sacrifice a creature. Uh, when it ETBs, your opponents have to sacrifice a creature. Yeah, that's my number two as well. And my number one is malefic scythe. Moving on to the red commons in the number three slot. I've got shock, single red for an instant, deal two damage to any target. Yep, me too. Number two, spell gorge or weird. Yep, and number one, scorching dragon fire. Oof, all right, lined up there. What about the uncommons? My number two slot, I've got heartfire immolator. This is a nod to maybe the lack of good two drops in the format. 
Uh, this is one and a red for the 2-2 with prowess, and you can pay a red, sacrifice it. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature or planeswalker. Yep, and my number one is Soul Seer. This is two and a red for an instant. It deals five damage to target player or planeswalker. That permanent loses indestructible until end of turn. Moving on to green commons, the number three slot, I've got Drowsing Pteranodon. This is one and a green for a 3-3, and it has Defender, and it can attack as though it didn't have Defender if you control a creature with power four or greater. Yeah, I, I was pretty low on this card, and then after looking at all of green's commons, bumped it back up. I do think this is going to be pretty good. That's my number three as well. Number two, Hunter's Edge, three and a green for a sorcery. Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Then that creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. So just strictly better hunt the week and in the number one slot pretty easily land of war visionary two and a green for a two two when it etbs you draw a card and you can tap to add a green to your mana pool yeah that card's ridiculous moving on to the green uncommons and the number two slot i have fungal rebirth this is a two and a green for an instant return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand and if a creature died this turn you make two one one green sapperling creature tokens in my number two slot i've got sanctum of fruitful harvest being optimistic about those sanctums yeah um, and and green control in general i think i'm actually it's close between that and cultivate i was trying to decide between those two i'm not sure which is better yeah i don't know my my would guess cultivates better i don't know maybe we just got to trust in and maybe you're right about trusting in watsi about the shrines as as uncommon cycles like they they definitely feel like they're for limited like are people really building a shrine deck and constructed i don't think so which it makes me think like they've got like are they really going to put that whole thing in there if you can't do the thing like surely you can do the thing right i don't know yeah and and what are the reasons to do the thing i don't know well, we will have to see. Uh, Thrashing Bronsonon is both of our number one here. That's the one GG 3-4, and you can pay one to sack it to blow up an artifact or an enchantment. Boom. That is the M21 Crash Course, Ben. Any, any, so it feels like we're thinking about this format maybe as it, it looking like it's more aggressive than it actually is. Is that your feeling? I mean, I, I see the aggro decks. Like I see blue-white tempo. I see blue-red, you know, as a very scary aggressive deck. But I also think there's tools there to combat that. Mm-hmm. I think green's got the tools specifically to really stall and get to the late game and go bigger than other things. I'm excited about exploring splashing in green. I'm excited about like jank, thrill of possibility, fixing stuff from, you know, the, the stuff that we learned in Theros Beyond Death. I do think that's here as well. And I think just looking at, you know, we did whatever, four or five drafts last night with with chat pod drafts. And I think looking at everyone's decks, the best decks looked like the decks that really got there hard on their gold color pair, like with the gold uncommons and really were doing the thing and decks that found a way to make cards better than face value, because there are a lot of cards that just do the thing that they say on the card. And I think to really get an edge, you're going to need to try to try to go bigger and better than that. Yeah, makes sense. So looking for those those trademark pockets of synergies that exist in the format. Well, I'm really, really excited to dive into this set this week. Ben and I are both going to be participating in the Watsi Streamer Early Access event on Wednesday, June 24th. Um, so you can check us both out there. Uh, I'll probably be taking a morning shift. Ben probably taking more of an afternoon or evening shift. But we'll we'll be diving in as much as we can, grabbing as many drafts as possible leading up to the set releasing next weekend. Yeah, for sure. That's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen you can check out all things lords of limited on our website lordsoflimited.com there's links to both of our streams lord tupperware for me mr metronome for ben links to our youtube channel we got a lot of content out there this week not only the full set review i did with alex um also a cube draft on arena and 
both of my drafts from the Swagoy draft tournament are up there as well. So a lot of good content there. Um, and you can check us out on Twitter on our usernames, as well as tweeting at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at Lords of Limited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Crush your first drafts of M21 and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Gourmand is one that sticks out. Oh yeah, um, it's got it's got a lot of text. Hang on, let me not. Gourmand, gourmand. Is it really gourmand? Well, I think that's the joke, right? Is that it's a, a play on that word? I don't know if you're actually supposed to call it gourmand. I don't know that word. Oh, gourmand is like a foodie, so of course you don't know that word. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's like a term to yeah, describe it's like somebody ge- that is a foodie. Like, but it's it's a different. So you're a gourmand. So you're a gourmand. A gourmand. What, where, where, where is this? A person who enjoys eating and often eats too much. That's the definition. Wow, I've never heard that word before. G- but it's, it's spelled different. It's G O U R M A N D. Huh. I'm sure it's a play on that. Then, right? Yeah, that's funny. I, okay, I, but I, I don't know that. if you're supposed to call it that or not. I don't know if you're supposed to pronounce it that way. Anyway, this is a, a nice rabbit hole here. <laughs>